Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God, His people, and His purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. This morning was what I'm going to talk about was birthed this last summer when Valerie and I got to have really our first real vacation in about eight years, and we traveled with Deborah and her family to the island of Kauai in Hawaii. And um, while we were there, um, we, we, we read through the Bible together as a church, and we call that calendar of readings, we call it the Bible bus. And we just say, hey, get on the bus. Let's read through the Bible together. And it doesn't matter when you start, you just get on the bus and just start reading with us. And um, whenever I do my devotions, when I'm doing them, I try to highlight verses that speak to or define what it means to live on mission. And I do that in a green color, like green for go. And so you can see up here, that's, that's one of those little scripture journal books that I have, and that's the one for the book of Acts. And you can see there's stuff highlighted in yellow, there's stuff highlighted in green, and green is for go. And, um, and I had so many devotional thoughts and responses to those passages as I was sitting there that I, would, I just filled up the right-hand side of my Bible journal. So on the right-hand side of those scripture journals, you can just write all of your thoughts. And if you'll notice, I've got some numbers there in green, and those numbers, they correspond with the verses that I was underlining in green on that first picture that you looked at. And um, so I found myself writing these, these thoughts over and over again. I found myself writing this one. If you put that next one up. Mission equals. So I'd see something and I'd read it and I'd highlight it green and it just made me think like mission is, right? Or this is what mission looks like. Or the next one would be something like this. Living on mission means, right? So that, then I would begin to write after that and define that a bit more. And so my devotional reading through the book of Acts there on vacation actually turned into a collection of little thoughts about our big mission. Not little in the sense of insignificant or trivial, but in the sense of brevity. Like when we studied the book of Acts verse by verse on a Sunday morning, we, we took 82 weeks to study through the book of Acts, and I had, I had um, 15 pages of notes on one of the things that we're going to look at today. So you're going to see the brevity part of it there. So those morning devotions turned into a series that was essentially became a devotional theology of mission. And we titled that series, Little Thoughts About Our Big Mission, A Devotional Theology of Mission. So let's all open our Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And as we walk through some of the verses in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, we're actually going to do a bit of practical application of some of the things that we learned in our master's class about observation, interpretation, and application. But let's first pray. Father, we come to you now this morning in the name of Jesus, and we pray that you would open each of our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit as we read and study your word. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open your word to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for that precious promise that the unfolding of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. 
So, Father, I pray this morning that you'd overlook my inadequacies as a man and as a teacher so that your word would go forth in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power, making the name of Jesus known and making the name of Jesus great in our lives and through our lives into the uttermost parts of the world. Amen. Amen. Well, our first little thought about our big mission is this. Mission happens along the way. Mission happens along the way. Would you look at chapter 8, verse 25? Here's, we're going to see how mission happens. And you don't have to put the white ones up if you, if you don't mind. You can just leave that, that other one up there for a while. Thank you. Verse 25, now when they, now the they is Peter and John, and we understand that because if we were reading this in context of the book of Acts and just reading through it, we know that this is Peter and John. It says, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, and this would be in Samaria because this tremendous revival broke out in Samaria, and Peter and John went up to Samaria um, to kind of be a part of that work there. So now when Peter and John had testified and spoken the word of the Lord there in Samaria, it says they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So if you want to this morning, you can circle that phrase, they returned to, they returned to, and then the phrase preaching the gospel to many villages. And then look down to verse 40, and we're going to see kind of the same stuff again. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So the phrase, as he passed through. Up in verse 25, they returned to and preaching the gospel to many villages. So they're returning and along the way preaching. And Philip found himself passing through and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It's common for us, and it's not necessarily wrong, but it's common for us to think of mission in terms of a destination. We prayed for a young lady going to India, right, this morning. Um, to think of missionary in terms of a destination um, or in terms of a specific geographical place. But when we look at the reality of mission in the life of Jesus and the reality of mission in the book of Acts, um, a lot of mission took place along the way. Mission happened as they were on their way home, Peter and John, Philip. Mission happened as they were passing through. And if we think of mission in those terms, suddenly everywhere is a mission field. Everywhere becomes an opportunity for the gospel. Now, question. How many places and people do you encounter on the way in your everyday life? All of us have a destination in our everyday life, maybe several destinations through the course of a day in our everyday life. How many places and people do you encounter on the way in your everyday life? And even on the way to those destinations, we have stops. Maybe stops at our favorite coffee shop on the way. Virtually every morning on the way to our daily mission here, we stopped at the batch. That's my on-the-way stop, right? And on the way, we started to engage people there. And, it's, and it eventually got to, well, why are you here? What are you doing here? And so on the way, we have stops. 
And on the way, we find that God builds connections for missions to happen along the way. And it's awesome that a team of us were able to come from Southern California and Northern California combined here to your beautiful city of Dundee. But we need to see ourselves on mission even on the way to mission. Even on the way to mission, we're on mission. And that turned out immediately kind of uh, in a broken elevator in a train station here in your city, right? After 28 hours of travel, half of our team is stuck in an elevator there on the bottom floor of the train station, and they're stuck in the elevator with a couple of guys who are from Spain here in your city teaching Spanish, and they end up being talked to about, well, what are you doing? Well, we're actually on mission. And they end up showing up some places. So mission happens on the way. Now, now check this out. Here I am this morning in Dundee, Scotland, and I'm saved. I'm a Christian. And I am loving and serving Jesus in your city. And I'm on my way to a glorious forever in the presence of Jesus because a Christian was living on mission on the way to a movie a long time ago. In fact, let me do the math. 22, 46 years ago, a man lived on mission on the way to a movie. He led me to Jesus on his way to a movie. Every day, all of us are on the way to something or somewhere. And the question for you and me is this, is how do we see the world around us? You know that song, I love that lyric to that one song, give me vision, let me see things like you do. Do we see people as we're on the way every day? Do we see people who at this moment in time, they don't have the future awaiting them that we have the future awaiting us? Do we see a broken world? Do we want the people we're looking at and encountering on the way of every day to be with us on that day when God will wipe away every tear? To be with us in that place where we will see God face to face? To be in that place where there's no more death, no more sin? Mission happens on the way. Here's our second little thought about our big mission. Number two, our mission is actually Jesus' mission. Our mission is actually Jesus' mission. You leave Acts chapter 8, you break into chapter 9, and it's one of the monumental moments in the history of the world. Verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul of Tarsus was on a mission. His mission was the systematic, relentless, organized, and violent persecution of the church and the elimination of the gospel. But Jesus was on a mission. And the mission of Jesus was to love and save the man who hated him. Jesus was on a mission to transform the greatest enemy of the gospel into the greatest advocate of the gospel. 
after his death and resurrection, before he, he returned to heaven, Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As individuals, we are a part of his mission. And his mission is to seek and save the lost, even the most lost, Saul of Tarsus. Even the greatest adversaries of the gospel, Saul of Tarsus. Guys, the church, capital C, the big C church, the, the collection of believers around the world, the, the church local, little C church, like Gate International, or back home, Metro Calvary in Roseville, the church is the way the mission of Jesus is carried out in this world. Whenever Jesus plants a local church, he does it to, so that this local church that is planted is actually becoming a part of his mission, and that local church actually executes his mission in a very unique way. Gate International Church has a unique role in the mission of Jesus being carried out in the world, or you wouldn't exist. It's something to be treasured, it's something to be guarded, it's something to, to approach with tremendous reverence and, and a sense of awe and excitement. Gate Church is a part of his mission to seek and save the lost in Dundee. And by the way, this Pastor Brian Broderson from Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and myself and John Wang have had this conversation this morning with Aaron Redfield sitting downstairs in the um, lobby of the hotel saying the same thing. Like, we really sense that, that, that the, the mission of God is going to be kind of top down in this island that you guys live on. It's like it's going to just happen up in Scotland and just pour down into the rest of the, the United Kingdom here. We're just blessed to be a part of it. Here's the deal. As the word of God is taught, men and women are built up in their faith and equipped to live in the mission of Jesus. As you guys give, as you gave this morning, you're giving to his mission. As you study the word of God together, you're being built up and equipped to live in his mission. Our third little thought about our big mission where you live is where your mission is. Where you live is where your mission is. Look at, look at verse 6 of Acts chapter 9 and also verse 10. So Jesus is talking to this guy Ananias. Uh, excuse me, he's talking to Saul in verse 6. He says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. So Saul has given his life to Jesus. He still can't see. And Jesus says, Saul, you go into the city and you'll be told what you're to do. Now in verse 10, we're told now there was a disciple at Damascus. Circle that phrase. Where was this disciple from? This is the observation thing. There was a disciple. Okay, there was a disciple. Where was he at? He was at Damascus. And then we're given the information named Ananias. I want you to think of this. Jesus had a disciple in a specific place. Jesus had a disciple in the exact place where Jesus needed a disciple, where Jesus needed a disciple to help a man who was in the baby steps of his relationship with Jesus, a guy named Saul. Jesus had a disciple in the exact place where Jesus needed a disciple to help the man who would, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, shape the history of Western civilization by preaching the gospel all the way into Europe. Does that blow your mind? 
Jesus had a disciple in the place where he needed a disciple to disciple a guy who would shape the history of Western civilization as an apostle. Now, transpose this encounter between Jesus and Saul from 32, 33 A.D. to 2019 A.D. Transpose this encounter between Jesus and Saul from the road to Damascus to, say, maybe the Tay Bridge or to, say, the major motorway from here to Edinburgh. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 would read something like this. Now, there's a disciple in Dundee named or there's a disciple in St. Andrew's named. Because Jesus has you in this specific place for his mission, for his specific redeeming plans and purposes here. Now, we've said mission happens on the way, but here we see that Jesus has us in a specific place because he sends people our way. Not only does mission happen on the way, but he sends people our way in the very place that we live. Who's he going to send your way today? Fourth little thought about our big mission. Living on mission equals, here I am, Lord. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he, this is Ananias, and he said, and then we're told what he said, here I am, Lord. You want to circle that one. Here I am, Lord. Now, when I was reading this, sitting there um, at, our, at our little breakfast table in Kauai last summer, I, I, I had a bunch of questions. Was Ananias young or old? What did he do? What was his skill set? Was he a professional or was he a tradesman? Was he educated or was he single? Was he married? Did he have children? Was he a grandparent? You know, think about it. All of that would be the kind of stuff we would see or find under profile in somebody's social media account, right? You'd find it there, right? What's striking here is that Jesus didn't give any of that information to Saul of Tarsus. Not because Jesus was lacking in the information and couldn't fill in the blanks. He's saying, hey, I'm going to send you to a guy. I, I can't tell you much about him. I don't know if he's married, single, old, young, skilled, professional, tradesman. I don't know that. But I'm, no. It wasn't that Jesus didn't know all of that stuff. All Jesus intentionally gave was just the guy's name. And there's super huge truth about mission in this. And it's this, guys. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, professional or tradesman, educated or not, single or married, rich or poor. What matters is being able to say, here I am, Lord. Your availability is your greatest ability. What matters is that you have let Jesus step onto the throne of your life. Now, Ananias had all sorts of concerns, right, because of who he knew this Saul of Tarsus to be, what a, what a ruthless man this was in dealing with anybody who believed with their heart in the Lord Jesus, anybody who told anybody about the Lord Jesus. He understood who this guy was and the havoc that he was wreaking on, on the church. But he said, here I am, Lord. And that says that he basically says, Lord, I'm not on the throne of my life. You're on the throne of my life. 
And when you say to Jesus, when you get up in the morning, here I am, Lord. And by the way, uh, since that morning in Hawaii, writing down that little thought about mission equals here I am, Lord, um, it, it has been my discipline to, as I'm getting out of bed, saying, here I am, Lord. Literally. I get up, I start throwing my feet over the bed, and here I am, Lord, right? When we say that to the Lord, we're actually saying, Lord, I abdicate the throne of my little claustrophobic kingdom of one. And I'm saying to you this morning, Lord, your kingdom come, not mine. Listen to this quote. In every way, the church is the people who have benefited from Jesus' work on the cross, live in light of it, and gladly proclaim it. That's the church. Now, when I read the words of Ananias here, my mind immediately went to the words of Isaiah the prophet 700 years earlier. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for, who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And then my mind immediately races to the words of a young boy named Samuel about a thousand years before Acts chapter 9. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, I'll read it from the New Living Translation. It's up there for you to read. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. If you know Jesus, you and I should start every day with, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I've got things on my calendar. Do you, do you call them diaries here? Is that what you call your calendars? So you who, who know the Lord Jesus living here in Dundee, you would get up and say, here I am, Lord. I've got a lot of stuff on my diary, but feel free to change any of it. Feel free to change all of it. I want my agenda to fit your agenda. Jesus, if you need me in any way, in any moment, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That is where living in the mission of Jesus begins for each of us. Our fifth little thought about our big mission, living on mission equals carrying the name of Jesus. Oh, this is a big one. But the Lord, Acts 9, 15, but the Lord said to him, go, speaking to Ananias, for he, that Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, for sure, Jesus meant that Saul of Tarsus was going to carry his name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel in the sense of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, proclaiming verbally the name of Jesus. But listen, if you know Jesus, you and I need to be conscious of the fact that we actually do carry the name of Jesus wherever we go. We actually do carry the name of Jesus into whatever we're doing. The way that we live in every context affects the way people think about his name when they finally hear his name. Man, I'm telling you, some of you guys got close enough to, to my son Sean and Aaron and Danny this week, and they are profoundly talented musicians. But the reason that I brought them was because of the way they carry the name of Jesus before they pick up a drumstick or a guitar 
or to use their voice. They carry the name of Jesus with such grace and such love and such gentleness and such kindness that I just said, guys, can you, will you come with me? And my son Sean's going, well, what do you, what do you, why would you want me to come? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just want them to meet you. <laughs> Your guitar stuff will do stuff, but just, they don't want, you understand, we carry the name of Jesus. And the way we live in every context affects the way people think about the name of Jesus before they hear the name of Jesus. Acts eleven twenty six. it says this, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The way those believers lived looked so much like Jesus, the Jesus they proclaimed, that they were called Christ-like. Their lives so resembled the Jesus they proclaimed that they said, well, what are we gonna call these people? Well, they look like this Jesus they're telling us about. Let's call them Christians. We should think about that because we live in a world and in a time like, like again, I, I, I was telling my son Sean before coming, I go, you know, most of the kids you're going to talk to, they don't even know what a Christian looks like. The only thing they know about Christians is that what they hear in the media or what politicians will say about Christians are haters, like Christians hate same-sex attracted people, Christians hate transgendered people, you know, and they've never really met a Christian. They wouldn't, and, and, and if, you, if you were kind to them and you loved them and you talked to them, uh, on Saturday, on Friday night when we were at that outreach, the youth outreach, it, this was so mind-blowing. There was a young, there was four young people sitting around this table. John Wang was there, and then I entered in a little bit after he was there, and this one young lady said, she says, I'm going to have to tell you something, and I don't think you're going to like it, and, and John said, well, what? And she says, well, I'm bisexual, and he says, well, Jesus loves you. When we walk out of these doors, we are on mission. And we carry the name of Jesus outside of these walls with us. And we should carry his name well, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And we should carry it with us in the sense that we're ready to speak his name when, when the opportunity presents itself and perhaps just the way we have carried his name in the way we live, that it builds gospel bridges to people and sometimes that bridge happens immediately and there's an opportunity to speak his name but I really believe that long before we get to speak his name to anybody there's going to be something about us that's going to say with this name you just heard them say that's what he that's that's what Jesus is all about six little thought about our big mission living on mission involves suffering for the name of Jesus Verse 16, he's telling Ananias about speaking to Saul. He's saying, for I will show him, I'm going to show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, the name that he would carry. He says, I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer for the sake of my name. Now, this is absolutely counterintuitive to the way the gospel is explained and the way men and women process and understand the gospel in 21st century church culture. The average churchgoer understands the gospel, understands faith in Jesus as the way to escape suffering. They don't think that following Jesus will involve suffering for the sake of the name of Jesus. Let me ask you, have you thought about the fact that 
how wonderful and, um, and just beyond imagination that we get to carry the name of Jesus outside of these walls, but carrying the name of Jesus and even, even just carrying the name of Jesus in the way you live is going to be countercultural. It will be. And it, it, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You know what salt does when it gets in a wound, right? It stings. It's a cathartic. It's a cleansing agent. And sometimes you don't have to say a word. Just living for Jesus stings people who don't want to know God. And if you've ever been in a dark room and somebody flipped on the light, it's painful, isn't it? You're sitting there and your eyes are fully dilated, try to get every little bit of light possible. And man, when somebody flicks on the light, suddenly your pupils restrict, constrict really quickly because the light's been turned on. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Seventh little thought about our big mission. Living on mission equals going when Jesus speaks. Verse 17, so. Now, so means in light of everything that's just happened, Jesus speaking to Ananias. So Ananias departed and entered the house. You, you, you want to circle Ananias departed and then circle the word entered. The words of Jesus were all Ananias needed for him to go up to the man who up to that point killed men and women who loved and followed and proclaimed the name of Jesus. How radical is that? Just he hears Jesus speak and he goes. When I do my journaling, I, I write prayers. Sometimes things are like instant, I need to respond to this in prayer right now. And I'll write my prayers next to those verses that prompted those prayers. And I'll usually put asterisks, just little handwritten asterisks next to them you know, that, that I'll know that when I'm looking at my notes and perhaps one day my kids or my grandkids might pick up those journals and they'll look and they'll see asterisks and they'll start to figure out that those dad's praying when he writes those little things there. And here's my prayers in the, that was on the right-hand side of the page there next to this. Lord, may your voice, your words, always be sufficient cause for me to move. Lord, your voice, your words always be sufficient cause for me to move. And then, Lord, may your voice silence my fears. Look at what Ananias calls Saul of Tarsus. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, how awesome is that? From the feared, violent adversary of Christians and Christianity to brother. That's the outcome of mission. Our eighth little thought about living, about our big mission, living on mission equals the natural response to meeting Jesus. Look at verse 19. For some days, this is speaking of Saul, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. So circle that phrase, immediately he proclaimed Jesus. Paul had met the living Jesus, and he couldn't wait to tell the world about Jesus. He didn't wait to take a course on personal evangelism, <laughs> and though he was spending time with other disciples, he didn't wait to go through a personal discipleship class, because when you meet Jesus, you just have to say something about him. You just have to say something about him. And when we are just have not much to say about Jesus, we should just stop and, and 
hit the pause button and go, Lord, there's something, I'm not fresh with you. Why is it that, that, that my relationship with you, it, it's, it's, it's not so fresh that I would just want to speak about you to somebody? When I was pastoring high school students a, a number of years ago, um, one young man in our, in our high school group used to do this, and it was a little unnerving sometimes. He would come up to me and he'd say, so what's Jesus doing in your life today? And I'd be busy about being a pastor, right? And sometimes you can be so busy being a pastor, you're kind of like Jesus is somewhere in the operating system in the background, right? And I would be sometimes literally, I, hadn't, I couldn't respond. Well, I know what I've been doing all day, but I, I can't say that I've had this fresh moment with Jesus today. We're getting close to the end here, guys. Stay with me. Our ninth little thought about our big mission. Mission equals testimony by transformation. Testimony by transformation. Acts 9.21. And all who heard him, this is hearing Saul, the former enemy of Jesus, an enemy of Christians, to now this, this, this um, disciple of Jesus and an and advocate of the gospel. And all who heard him were amazed and says, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And that word havoc, it actually means it's the, it's the word described of a wild beast tearing its prey into pieces. That's his, that was the reputation Saul had. They go, they were amazed. And they said, isn't this the guy who was tearing Christians to pieces? Anybody who even called on the name of Jesus? And has he not come here for the same reason to bring them bound before the chief priest? Jesus flipped the script. The one plotting and planning to kill those who proclaim that Jesus is the son of God is now the one proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. And that transformation confounds, but it also proves the truth about Jesus. Proves that he really is the Son of God. Your changed life proves Jesus. Your changed life, your transformed life, the love of God transforming you, the power of the Holy Spirit conforming you to Jesus, that is powerful communication of the truth of the gospel. And by the way, Jesus flips the script in more than one way. Saul of Tarsus used to plot and plan to kill Christians, but now others were plotting and planning to kill him. Tenth little thought. Living on mission requires encouragement. It's a big one. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he, this is Saul, attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For, and here's why they were afraid of him, they didn't believe he was a disciple. Boy, this just popped into my head. Sounds like the Kanye West, right? Isn't it? Things haven't changed in 2,000 years. Now imagine this. Like, you hated Christians. You hated the name of Jesus. And then you met Jesus. And he changed your heart. And all you want to do is tell the whole world about Jesus and you want to be with the people of Jesus and you're trying to join yourself to them and they're going, uh-uh. That had to be discouraging. Verse 27 says, but I love that word. It's one of the biggest, most important words in the whole Bible. You circle that word. Because that word means that in contrast to everyone who was afraid and didn't believe he was a disciple, 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, Barnabas declared to them, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. That word so, it means as the result of Barnabas encouraging Saul, so he, Saul, went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Man, I thank the Lord for men like Barnabas. There is a mission that God has in mind. There are people that God is going to use in that mission, and those people, they just need to be encouraged in it. They just need an endorsement. They need somebody who's going to say, oh, man, you, you want to know this brother. You want to meet this brother. God's got his hand on him. They just need to be introduced to the local church. And that is what Barnabas did. Barnabas did not leave Paul discouraged on the outside looking in. He literally took Paul to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He literally told Paul's story. He confirmed the legitimacy of Paul's conversion. He confirmed the legitimacy of his gifting, and then boom. So, as a result of Barnabas encouraging Saul, he, Saul, went in and out among them at Jerusalem. The outsider was embraced as an insider. And he saw he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And verse 31 says, so, in other words, as a result of Saul preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, the, the church, it says that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And again, reading the word, responding in prayer, in, on the right-hand page of my scripture journal, Lord, May I be a Barnabas. May I see your work in and your hand upon the Saul's in my life. And Lord, may there be a Barnabas in my life. And here's our last one. Living on mission equals walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fear of the Lord you know, the landscape of living on mission can change. Have you ever noticed that, how the landscape of, of the, the mission we, we are in and the place he's placed us in for mission, that can change. In one chapter of Acts, the first Christians went from persecution to peace. And that would change again. It would flip back. But whether it was in persecution or peace, they stayed on mission. Because they lived as though God was watching their affairs. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's so good to know that God is watching. Nothing escapes his watchful eye. He sees what we cannot see. And when you really understand that, you don't want to live in a way that would ever break his heart. Now, let me, let me add this. And this was a thought. I, it came to me as we were worshiping this morning. It's not in my notes. And usually, man, I'm just sticking to my notes. Think of this. The church was never so potent and powerful as we see it in the book of Acts. It's just, if you want to know what, what does authentic church look like, what does authentic mission look like, what does power in and through the church look like, just read the book of Acts. And we wonder, well, how and why? Well, part of it is this. They walked in the fear of the Lord and it means that they just would not let anything, anything stand that would bring dishonor to the Lord 
or disable the mission. You know, so many people in so many churches, in local churches, the mission of God can be moving forward. There can be vision. There can be people growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus, people getting saved, people being built up in their faith. But you know what? There are some people within local churches who they're not walking in the fear of the Lord, and they do things that tear down the work of the Lord. People who do that, they don't fear the Lord. They're not going, this is the Lord's church. This is not my church. Gate church is not mine. It's Jesus' work. This mission is not mine. It's Jesus' work. I got to keep my hands off of it. God, forgive me for dividing your work. Forgive me for stalling the work. Forgive me for me insisting that this, my agenda should be happening in this church and not moving in the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading the church. That's so very, very, very important. They walked in the fear of the Lord, and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And as they did, the church multiplied. They were able to live on mission in the face of persecution because they didn't walk in the comfort of material things. They didn't walk in the comfort of calm circumstances. They lived in the comfort of the Holy Spirit in hard times and good times. You know, there are couples who fail to live on mission in their marriage. You know, your marriage is mission. Your marriage is one of the greatest testimonies to the world that Jesus is Lord. And there are couples who fail to live on mission in their marriage because maybe they hit financial hardships. In America, the leading cause of divorce is financial hardship. And it doesn't exactly change when you get to Christian divorces. Churches fail on mission. Divisions start to happen. Sometimes the churches split. Sometimes they just collapse and fold. They just pack it in because they are faced with difficulties. The difficulties of having to walk through relational things. The difficulties of having to go, Lord, we need to trust you in this season in our life. Man, like back home, there was a season, man, we, where, where just economy was hard and finances started to shrink and it was just hard. But we don't... We've got to live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit comforter. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, and I pray that Gate Church would walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for the privilege of teaching your word this morning, and I do pray Lord, that your word would, would take root deeply, that the word of Christ would dwell richly in us, and then we would be teaching and admonishing each other as we live in the mission of God and live on mission with God and for God in this world. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that this sermon would just have a home in the hearts of these brothers and sisters, that they would constantly be stirring one another up and encouraging one another about, hey, remember, mission is... Mission involves. Lord, you know, you, you know your mission through this church. You know what it looks like. We pray, Lord, that it would flourish. And we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.